Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at a couple of parables this morning. You know, the mask is this constant reminder, isn't it, of just difficulties we're going through in our world, as if we need more reminders right now. Truth is, our world is filled with difficulties. Turn on the news, browse the internet, you're going to see violence, evil, injustice, hatred, lawlessness, all over the place. You know, it reminds me of the the time in the book of Judges where it says, everyone did as they saw fit. Everybody just did what they wanted. I think that's a pretty good summation of all of human history, but there are those times. I think you see it more keenly. You feel the effects in the world and personally. Everyone just keeps doing what they want to do. And there's this nagging question, I think, in those moments of frustration or those moments of solitude that creeps into the back of our heads. Why, God? God, what what are you doing? Why don't you do something, Lord? Why, why don't you do something about the evil in the world? Why don't you do something about the hardship? Why don't you change things? I would guess that I could answer on behalf of everyone here to say that we've all had that question run through our heads. And maybe more so over the past year or two. Why? And then along with that is, why aren't you doing something now? God, what are you waiting for? Why is God waiting? That's what Matthew chapter 13, verses 23 through 43 is all about. Excuse me, 24 through 43 is all about. Why is God waiting? What is he doing? And why isn't he making things right now? You know, there's an interesting song. I was joking with my wife that I could do a whole sermon series on contemporary Christian music and just how bad theologically most of it is. And I wrestled with whether or not I was going to say this, but it's not in my notes. I'm saying it anyway. But there's a, there's a song on Christian radio. God, why don't you do something? And the answer is, he did. He made us. Don't get me wrong. There's a sentiment in that song. We have Christian lives to live. We need to live for the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to get out there. That's good. That's good. That is not the biblical answer, though, to what God is doing. And we're going to look at what is the biblical answer. Why is God waiting to bring justice to this world? And what is he doing in the meantime? And it's not just about you and me. In fact, it's not about us first and foremost at all, except as the beneficiaries of what God is doing. So let's look at this passage. There are two main sections. One main section is divided into two halves. That's totally confusing, but you'll get it. So we're going to look at 1324 to 30 and then skip down to 36 to 43 because this is the parable of the weeds or the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the weeds and the wheat. Depends on what Bible you have. I'm calling it weeds and wheat because that makes sense to me. And I get to do what makes sense to me. So let's look at the parable. I want to read the passage. I'm going to read verses 24 to 30 and then we'll skip down 
to uh, verse 37, actually verse 36, and we'll read the rest of it. First, he starts, Jesus, the Son of God, starts by telling the crowds this parable. It says in verse 24, Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the, gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So there's the parable. Now, like the parable that we looked at uh, last week, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, Jesus has another moment where he takes his disciples aside and he explains this parable to them. So I'd like to read that as well, just so we can get it all in front of us and then we can deal with it piece by piece. Uh, I didn't put 36 up there, but he starts in verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Hmm. Powerful. Difficult. Encouraging in some ways. Very difficult in others. Let's look at the parable, starting with the setup here in the first couple verses. He mentions again the purpose of parables. And if you remember going back to... Uh, Last week with the parable of the soils, that kind of sets up why Jesus speaks in parables. And he doesn't speak in parables to better explain things. The parable, Jesus said, uh, when he was explaining the parable of the soils, he actually said, I speak in parables to hide truth so that not everyone will understand. Wow, wait a minute, Jesus, that, that doesn't make sense. Well, it's because everybody takes truth in their own way, according to their own uh, way of interpreting it. They twist it and distort it to mean what they want it to mean. Jesus understands that the only way to truly understand the truth about God is through Jesus. And so the disciples get something that nobody else does. And we get something that the people, the crowds didn't get. We get the very words of Jesus saying, this is what this means. Jesus is the key to the parables. And he speaks here about the kingdom of heaven. That's what this chapter is all about. The kingdom of heaven is God's perfect reign. It's the thing that people longed for when they were in their homes at night and difficulty was upon them. God, bring your kingdom. When the foreign armies came in and overwhelmed them, God, bring your kingdom. Make everything right. That's their picture of the kingdom. And the Israelites in Jesus' day longed for the kingdom. 
longed for the Romans to be thrown off, longed for the evil governments of the world to be done away with, longed for the evil people in the world to be done away with, longed for God's kingdom to come. And so Jesus tells this parable. The landowner plants wheat. An enemy sows wheat. There was, at that time, a type of weed that actually looked just like wheat. And you didn't know until it was grown that it was different. There was no harvest there. And they would grow up together. And it actually was not unheard of for an enemy to enter somebody else's field and plant things to try to make their crop bad. And so here we have a field that is both wheat and weeds, and they look almost identical. And so the servants come and they have their first response. You must have made a mistake. I think sometimes we go down that road with God. God, God, um, I think you might be off here. Let, let me just correct you a little bit. They say you must have used bad seed. Oops, maybe it just wasn't good enough. I think a lot of Christians fall into this trap. Well, the word of God's just not powerful enough. The gospel's not powerful enough. But if we tweak it a little bit, if we put our thoughts into it, then it'll be good. No, the seed is good. God's word is good. It doesn't need our help. We often doubt God. And when he doesn't act, we have our own ideas of how to make it happen. But the landowner tells the servants, there's more going on than you know. An enemy came and did this and planted the weeds. So then they have a second response. Okay, let's get a committee together. Let's go out. We're going to go pull those weeds. We're going to take action. We're going to rise up. We're going to fight this problem. We're going to make things happen. And the landowner says, no. Let them go. Let them grow together because if you go out, you won't know which are the good ones and which are the bad ones. Let it grow together until the harvest. There is a time that is coming when the weeds and the wheat will be separated, when they will be dealt with separately and the weeds will be gathered and burned and the wheat will be gathered and kept. Now that's the parable. And I think you can begin to see where this is going, but Jesus' words really help us to understand the depth of what's going on here. First, Jesus identifies several of the particular things in the parable. The Son of Man is the one who sowed the good seeds. That phrase, Son of Man, Jesus loved to use that for himself. It was a messianic, meaning uh, in the Old Testament, people were looking forward to the Messiah. And this phrase, Son of Man, was used of the Messiah. And Jesus used it for himself. The good seed, he says, is the people of the kingdom. The field is the world. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age. And the harvest, harvesters are the angels. Okay, good. Just lays it all out there, says, look, this is what it all means. Sometimes people want to get all mystical in the parables and try to figure every little thing out. Jesus says, uh-uh, this is what it means. Okay, so we're all on the same page. A couple of observations from these identifications that Jesus makes. Notice in the parable that the sower and the owner of the field are the same person. The person who sowed the good seed is the one who owns the field. It's his field. Okay, now, no big deal, right? But then when you come to Jesus' explanation, who sowed the seed? 
the Son of Man. And what is the field? The whole world. Whose world is it? The Son of Man's. And who is the Son of Man? Jesus. Don't miss what Jesus just did. To everybody listening, to all of these disciples, he just put his hand up and said, I'm God. This is all mine. Don't miss this. People say all the time, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. He definitely did. And this is one of those moments when he does. He says, the world is full of both weeds and wheat. Both those who belong to God and those who belong to the devil. And again, like with so many of these difficult parables, there is no middle ground. There's no seeker here. There's no slightly religious person. There's nobody on a religious spiritual journey. You're either in Christ or you are an enemy of Christ. That's what the Son of God says. Now, I need to step aside for a moment because some people have interpreted this to say that the field is the church. And that what Jesus is saying is that in the church, when we gather, there are those who are definitely Christians, saved by Jesus Christ. There are others that are just there and they haven't really accepted Christ yet. And these are both part of the kingdom, both part of the church. And we don't necessarily know, we can't judge their hearts, but we want people to be saved. All of that is true. Absolutely. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. We can go to numerous other places to say, won't people stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? But that's not what he's talking about here. Here he specifically says the field is the world. And in this world that God created, and he created everything for his glory, what we see is that there is goodness created by God, saved through Jesus Christ, people that are saved, doing godly Christian things, but we also see right there in the midst of all of it, often overwhelming it, are the weeds the ways of this world. People who just don't care, who are living for themselves, who don't want to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, those people belong to the devil. This is one of those hard things. Understand, as a pastor, I know people are like, oh, the pastor's saying, if you're not a Christian, you belong to the devil. I'm actually not saying it. I would never say that. Jesus says it. And I am only ever comfortable saying what Jesus himself says. It's harsh. It's harsh. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, Paul writes, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Romans 5.10, for if while we were God's enemies, see that there? We were God's enemies, not just on a spiritual journey. We were enemies of God. But here's the hope of the gospel. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And that verse right there gets at such an important point in what Jesus is about to talk about, and what we're going to look at in the other parables, that it is possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ 
for weeds to be changed to wheat. That's the hope. It's not in what Jesus is talking about yet, but we're going to get there. But I want you to hear that incredible hope. Let's go back to Jesus' explanation here. When we look at Jesus' explanation, we see what the servants wanted. In many ways, we see what we want. Can we just get rid of all evil? Can we just do away with everything causing trouble? Can we just clean up all the sin in the world and then the sin will be a better, or the world will be a better place? And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly what's going to happen. But in order to remove sin from the world, all sinful people must also be removed. There's no way around it. Because while that Christian song says, you know, what's God's answer to this world and its answer is we are, the better theological answer is what is the greatest problem in the world? The answer to that is we are. We, sinners. And if we want a world without sin, the only way to remove all sin is to remove all sinners. And Jesus says that day is coming. And that's what it's going to take. Unless we are saved by Jesus Christ, we are the seed sown by the devil, the evil ones. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we see verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun. In the difficulty of the judgment of this passage, don't miss the beauty. There will be a day that will come that I don't think you and I can imagine. Those saved by Jesus Christ, the weeds that have been turned into wheat, adopted as children of the Heavenly Father, will live perfectly, righteously, sin-free lives forever and ever, never touched by sin and all of its consequences again. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more masks. Ever. We can't even imagine that kind of living. The glory of it. We will shine like the sun. Two things to understand about God's waiting here. The first is the waiting does not go on forever. The harvest is coming. Bill was speaking in adult Sunday school this morning about stewardship of time. And the Bible over and over again says there is an eternity that is coming. There is judgment that is coming that needs to shape how we live now. Right now, both good and bad. Sinners and saints are allowed to coexist in this world. And it's hard. But a time is coming where Jesus will judge the world. So the first thing we need to understand about God's waiting is that God will not wait forever. This is not indefinite. But the second thing is that the end of this waiting is both terrible and wonderful. It is terrible in the sense that those who have not received Jesus Christ will face eternal punishment. And the terror of that should motivate us who know the gospel of Jesus Christ to look at the world differently. To say those weeds that we're so mad at, this culture that we get so mad at, we have the thing that changes it. 
Instead of looking at them and being mad, let's look at them and feel, feel sorrow and pity and a sense of urgency to get out there and do something about it, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is a terrible judgment that is coming. And God knows in his infinite wisdom, that's what it's going to take for the beauty of eternity in his presence to take place. I said it was terrible, but it's also wonderful. Those saved by Jesus Christ will receive the longing of our heart. Life eternal with no sin, no more consequences, no more pain, and no more sorrow. The parable of the weeds and the wheat shows us that God is waiting. He is allowing both sin and righteousness to coexist in this world. And he's saying, don't pull them yet. Just wait. It also shows us what God is waiting for, that there is a final judgment that is coming. But as I've hinted at, what the parable does not show us is the hope for the weeds. It just describes a difficult situation and then a conclusion and then eternity. But if you noticed, I skipped a part. You see, Matthew, as he lays this out, he lays out the parable and the explanation. And right there in the middle, he records something else that Jesus says. And this is something Matthew does over and over again. And he's not the only biblical author to do it. Puts two bookends with something in the middle. And when they do that, they're saying, look here, don't miss this. And let's look at what he talks about in the middle. He talks about the parables of the mustard seed. And the yeast. Verses 31 through 35, he speaks in two more parables. Let's look at the mustard seed. Verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. You ever seen a mustard seed? It is literally the size of the head of a pen. So tiny. So tiny that I imagine, and again, I don't do gardening because why would you? But, you know, but people that do and think that's important. I imagine a mustard seed. I could just think about like having a mustard seed in my hand and walking out in my garden and dropping it on accident. It's gone. You're never finding it. It's barely larger than the dirt. That's how small a mustard seed is. You ever feel like, what difference can we make in this world? What hope is there? That's the mustard seed. It seems so tiny. It seems so insignificant. But Jesus says when you plant it, it grows. It grows so large. This thing that makes no difference in the world, seemingly the seed, grows into something that even the birds can come and make their homes in. Well, people love to jump on this and be like, Jesus, not actually the biggest plant in the world. I mean, come on, there's much bigger plants. Oh, good grief. See, if you're planting a garden, right, herbs, spices, vegetables, that's where you plant the mustard seed. If you're planting an apple tree, I don't know why you plant an oak tree because you can't eat it, but, you know, yes, there are bigger things, but they're not in your garden. This is a garden plant, and it is one of the largest plants that you would plant in the garden. And it grows up into, you know, you would look at it and say it's a tree, it's actually kind of a bush, but it's just so big. 
And Jesus is saying this tiny little thing. That's the emphasis here. The point is something so small and insignificant that looks so fragile and easily overcome becomes something amazing. And in the picture of the weeds and the wheat that are growing together, there's this question, is it, does it matter? What's going to make a difference in this world? And we just have to deal with the fact, well, there's weeds and there's wheat and this stinks. And Jesus says, ah, let me tell you about a mustard seed. It seems so small and makes such a big difference. In verse 33, he gives another parable. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Such a simple little illustration. And again, from my reading, 60 pounds, it was a rather large amount of dough. But it wasn't unheard of if they were making a lot of bread at once. It was a big batch. But this big batch of dough, they would put in a small lump of leavening. The word here is yeast, but this isn't, you know, they didn't have, what is it, Fleischmann's that you like open up and dump in. They didn't have that. Is that right? Did I get that right? I'm good. I do so much baking. Okay. (laughs) I see it in the pantry. That's how I know it's there. So they would use just a lump of leftover dough from their previous batch. And the yeast had grown in it. But it was, you know, smaller than my fist. This is a big pot of dough. And all it took was that little lump to be mixed in. And then just let it sit. And what happens? The yeast in that little lump multiplies and multiplies, and multiplies, and spreads throughout that dough. And what happens as that's happening? Well, now the dough begins to expand, and expand, and expand. That small lump is enough to change the entire batch of dough. Friends, you're just a small lump. Got to tell you. We're all just a bunch of small lumps. We're all just a bunch of mustard seeds. And we look at our lives and we look out there in the world and we go, what can I do? The answer, nothing. In and of ourselves, there's nothing. Because as Christians, all too often we just say, well, I'll just go pull the weeds. I'll make this person act better. If they quit acting evil, the weed is pulled and I don't have to worry about it. And God's going, "Mm, that doesn't work. And friends, Christians have been busy for generations pulling weeds, and it's never worked. You don't pull the weeds. You change the weeds. One life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mustard seed grows. The leavening spreads. And the weeds are turned into wheat. That's how we change this world. It's through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus finishes here in verses 34 to 35. He says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Rather, this is Matthew writing. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And that's what I want you to see. Things hidden since the creation of the world. What's been hidden that Jesus is uncovering? It's the truth that the kingdom of God is not going to come like a conquering army and just wipe everybody out. That the kingdom of God comes like wheat that's growing among weeds. Like a mustard seed that's growing in the garden. And like leavening, a tiny lump that is growing in the dough. 
that it's here and it's powerful. And yes, we look around and we see the weeds and we get so easily overcome, but the kingdom is at work. It has been at work ever since the king has come. And he has come. And the kingdom has spread. And do you want to know the proof that I have that the kingdom has spread? It's because I've heard your testimonies. Do you know why you have a testimony? It's because the kingdom that started with this ragtag group of individuals that Jesus traveled around with who were nobodies, they went out and told somebody else. And they told somebody else. And you're sitting here today because the kingdom spread. That's a miracle at work in this world. And so as you look at the news, and you see in the news on the internet, and you say, well, God, why are you waiting? God's saying, I'm not waiting at all. My kingdom is advancing. The gospel is at work. Yes, there is a time right now when the weeds are being allowed to grow. But it's because in that time before judgment come, there is an op- or comes, there is an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the time of mercy. As hard as it is, this is the time when people can be changed from enemies to being children of God through Jesus Christ. Weeds can be turned into wheat. People can be saved. And that's why God's waiting. Because the kingdom is not done spreading. Secondly, there is an end in sight. There is a time when all will be made right. And it is both beautiful and terrible. And both of those things need to motivate us to take the gospel into this world. And we need to hold on to that confident hope. When you look at things and you go, man, How's the church going to survive this? How's Christianity going to survive this? How's our world going to survive this? How's our nation going to survive this? Stop yourself. Hit the theological pause button in your life and say, the kingdom is still spreading. And it will never, ever fail. I pray that as the church of Jesus Christ, saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would recapture a passion for truly changing the world. In understanding that the only thing that will truly change the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes individuals. That's it. It's got to be the gospel. If we are truly disturbed, and we must be, by the evil and difficulty in this world, then the answer is not to go out pulling wheat. It's to go out with that mustard seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and start planting it in this person's life, and that person's life, and this country's life, and this culture's life, and watch the power of the gospel at work as it spreads. Let's proclaim the gospel. Let's demonstrate the gospel in our own lives and in our relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we in so many ways, see ourselves as insignificant in the face of so much evil in the world. We confess that we don't know what to do. We confess that we've tried a lot of things at times to make things right in this world as Christians, and so often they fail. 
And God, the answer is not to give up. The answer is to turn to the only thing that is truly powerful enough to change lives and to change the world and to change cultures and to change countries and cities and structures. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us for the many ways that we have doubted you, that we have questioned your work, the ways in which, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we've set aside the gospel, thinking it's good for Sunday morning, but it's worthless on Monday through Saturday. Instead, Father, may we be so fully convinced that the gospel is what this world needs, that when we are faced with incredible difficulties in this world. It is the gospel that flows out of us. When we meet people that are hurting, it is the gospel that flows out of us. When we understand that you are at work changing this world, we will get involved with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that is the only thing that can change a stalk of weed that is worthless and meaningless and destined to be caught up into the fire forever and ever. Through your gospel, that weed can be changed into wheat that will be gathered into your barn. That enemy can be changed into your son and daughter that will be welcomed into your family. And Father, that is your passion and it is our passion as well. May we live that mission now. In your name we pray. Amen.